The second Bible reading comes from Exodus chapter 34 verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and the herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favour in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, uh, Jess. For reading God's word to us this morning. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken. We thank you that you have revealed your character, your attributes. We thank you that you are a wonderful God. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit will help us understand this word, encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, this morning um, I want to speak on this topic today. God is, and um, what if if you were if we were to give a, a piece of paper to you this morning uh, with a pen or pencil and ask you to fill in uh, the blank space, what would you come up with? God is. What would you say? Uh, how would we respond to that? If you take this outside of this building, uh, what would the response be in the world that we live in, uh, right around perhaps here in Surrey Hills and in Australia? What kind of ideas would people come up with when they think about God? Uh, maybe they might think, well, there is no God. Others might think, well, if there is a God, why is there so much pain and suffering in this world? If there is a God, why is there so much chaos? in the world that we live in. Uh, just this past week, uh, our hearts and minds have been stressed, I'm sure, with what we have witnessed right in our neighboring country here in Indonesia, uh, then last uh, yesterday in Burkina Faso, in other parts of the world. And we wonder, we wonder in the financial markets, the ASX dropped drastically this past week for those of us who have shares. Uh, you might wonder about that. Uh, someone spoke to me yesterday and said, Chris, we need to be concerned about our superannuation. By the time we finish, it will be all gone. But we live in trouble sometimes. The financial markets, the world, 
God is? Where is this God perhaps? Perhaps it's an important question. It's an important matter for us to address. It's important that we know who this God is as well. Uh, Not just on a faith basis, which is absolutely important, but certainly on a factual basis as well, because Christianity is both a rational faith. We don't leave our reasons behind, but we also apply uh, godly wisdom and understanding, and uh, by the Spirit of God, also apply that in our hearts and lives and live by faith. So in Exodus chapter 34, we see God renewing his covenant with his people by giving to Moses and in the process identifying himself in revealing his character in his attributes. And today we're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 34 based on verses 1 to 6. And we're going to look at two points this morning. We're going to look at the new tablets uh, that God is, uh, that Moses takes up and, and, and is, is rewritten there, the law. The second thing is the attributes of God. God is so gracious that he reveals his character, reveals who he is, uh, not just to Moses, but to uh, the world, to all of us. Let's look at the first one, the new tablets. In Exodus 34, if you keep your Bibles open, please, uh, that would be great as well. Um, Exodus 34, the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone. Like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. So the question is, what happened to the first tablets? Well, let's see what took place. I'm going to give you a background here as well, Exodus. So the book of Exodus, friends, is the account of the great events of the deliverance of God's people from Egyptian bondage, and also the beginnings of the wilderness wanderings. The book of Genesis closes with the story of Joseph, who was a shepherd, and became, we might call a prince or a prime minister. And the book of Exodus begins with a prince, Moses, who became a shepherd called by God to lead his people out of Egypt. So we have these contrasting pictures, don't we? Genesis, Joseph, come to Moses, the transitions that take place. And so we read in Exodus chapter 1, 8 to 10, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So God's people lived in Egypt and things went well under Joseph. There was prosperity, they, they, they lived well until the new Pharaoh appeared who did not know Joseph. And so from this time on began the oppression of God's people, began the oppression of the Israelites under this new Pharaoh. He did four things. He appointed taskmasters to overlook the Israelites. That is, they were slave masters. And they put the people under intense slave trading, as it were. And the people had to do hard work under 
intense circumstances. He instructed the taskmasters to intensify the labor. For example, no straw for making of bricks. There was enslavement that took place. Thirdly, he commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill every male child born to Hebrew women. And the midwives did not. And fourthly, he wanted the Egyptians to make sure that every son that is born to the Israelites be cast into the Nile, but let every daughter live. Understand the, 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 the intensity of this man, what's going on here in, in, in Exodus, in the, in the entire story here. And his actions were wicked and despicable. And God's people suffered intensely under such oppression. And they cried out to God. And God, in his goodness, heard their cries and used Moses to deliver his people. And so the book of Exodus has three major events that we have in the book itself. One, it is the Exodus itself. Two, the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And three, the building of the tabernacle. Three significant events in the book. All three events, the Exodus, the law, the tabernacle, emphasizes the fact that God is present with Israel as their king and protector. God kept his word and through a series of incredible, miraculous acts, he brought about the deliverance of his people out of Egypt. And we read of this final act, an amazing act by God himself. Moses stretched out, remember the story, God's people were being led and they come now to the Red Sea. And they were saying, well, are there no graves here? Might as well, you kept us in Egypt. Why you brought us here? The Egyptians are following us, they're running after us. They're coming after us, Moses. Can't you see what have you done? And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. Oh, sorry. Okay, then, let me say, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea of dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. You see, God did it, part of the waters, to let his people cross. And so the people then recognized this, and God saved them. And so we read this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And so the people were encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And there at the mountain they had heard with their own ears the very words of God as they thundered from the mountain with smoke and lightning and with the sound of the trumpet when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments for his people. And so this is the background. And so central to God's communication with Israel, his people at this time, was that they were prohibited absolutely from representing God with images of gold or silver. However, it is astonishing, friends, and it is indeed sad to see that some 40 days later, Israel does the very thing that God had asked them not to do. Exodus 32. They turned around and we waited for a long time for this guy Moses. Where is he? What's happening with Moses? It's too long. Moses hasn't come down as yet from the mountain. He has delayed. 
from coming down. We don't know what's happened to him. Make us gods that shall go before us. And so Aaron did just as they asked. And so Aaron asked the people, he said to them, Well, take off your, your rings of gold that are in your ears of, of your wives, your sons, daughters, bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And guess what, friends? And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Can you see what has happened? They have just experienced and been and seen in a miraculous way God doing spectacular acts. The fire of deliverance. God, the Yahweh God, who revealed himself to Moses and constantly to his people. He shall not worship anyone else but me. And now, some 40 days later, they've got the golden calf. Bowing down. Hmm. It's like when you go sometimes to the GMCG and you see a great cricket star or someone coming, everybody just... Well, you see what's happening. This single act, this single act of disobedience constitutes the breaking of Sinai covenant, the penalty for which is death. And so the narrative continues. Exodus 32, 7-10. The Lord said to Moses, Go down to your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. Verse 8, 32. They, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped and sacrificed it and said, These are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. And so you see a stiff-necked people. Have you suffered from a stiff neck? It's very hard, isn't it? When you've got a stiff neck, well, I've had a question on stiff necks. I can see some of you rolling your heads now. <laughs> Don't get a stiff neck now, please. Right? You should be looking this way now. It's okay. The point is, a stiff neck means you, you can't really turn because you're only just on one side of it. It's, 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 it's a painful thing as well. These people are a stiff neck people. They can't see anything more. They've forgotten their God. And so Moses intercedes for Israel. He pleads. In Exodus 32, he pleads for God's mercy. And God relents from consuming the nation. And that, but when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he saw the people worshipping the golden calf. And he burned with anger. Notice what happened. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing that was going on, Moses' anger burned hot. And what did he do, friends? He threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. The ten commandments that God had given them. He threw them and broke them down. And he did something more than that. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to a powder and scattered it on the water. <laughs> and he made the people of Israel drink it. Here you go, go to the water, drink it. The best water. No, no. It's a sign that Moses burned with anger. 
Because these people have turned their backs on the living God. The God who has been so good, they have now gone back. So, but God cared for his people and he wanted his people to have the law, the Ten Commandments. I mean, in chapter 34, he removes, God removes his covenant relationship with them by again giving them the Ten Commandments as he did in Exodus chapter 20. And so Moses got ready. He cut two stone tablets. Early in the morning, he went on to the top of Mount Sinai. And notice that in verse 3, in our text here, No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. You see, God is saying, Moses, what is he saying here? No one should come here. Not even the, the, the herds can, can grass in front there. Because where I am is holy ground. Here we see the supremacy of God's amazing holiness. We spoke about that last week. So Moses cut two tablets of stone, like the first, and he arose. He rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. And we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there in the Lord, with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. You see what God is doing in, in, in Exodus chapter 34. He's re-establishing his covenant relationship with his people. You see, God could have turned his back. He could have consumed them. Because the Bible tells us our God is a consuming fire. But now God is a God of grace. And he comes and he enters back again into a relationship with his people. Because our God is a relational God. Amazing, isn't it? That God will want to enter into a relationship with a person like you, with, with me and, and yourselves and his people. And so he release this covenant. Write these words down. And here is the good news. God still wanted his people to have his law and mend the broken relationship with them. Isn't that wonderful? How many times that we have kind of gone away? How many times perhaps we have forgotten the goodness of God? How many times perhaps we have turned our backs on Him? It's good news, friends. He gave them the Ten Commandments. And we read these Ten Commandments here in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1. Uh, to 17 and you can read those commandments there I'm not going to read all of that this morning it's there in Exodus 20 and so God again gave them the Ten Commandments he went further and he revealed his character by giving to Moses and showing some of his attributes and so we see his attributes this morning verses 5 and 6 in your text the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abundant and steadfast love, and faithfulness. So we have an amazing event taking place here, friends. Moses went up to the mountain, right? And God came down to the mountain to meet Moses. The picture is very telling, is it not the case? You see, God 
came down. No matter how high we may reach, and we think we may reach in our lives, it is God who still has to stoop down and reach us. It is God who left the splendor of heaven and came upon this earth on that very first Christmas. God came down in Christ. God became flesh. God became incarnate. God with us. That's a picture, isn't it? He's, he, he is God. He is the creator. He is enthroned in heaven. So we dwell on earth. He is God and he comes down with a cloud. This is what we might call a theophany or a manifestation of God. And he stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. You see, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. This is remarkable, friends. It is God preaching to Moses and directly to his people. And he said, the Lord, the Lord. Why is this? You see, Moses makes an amazing request. <laughs> Brave request, is it not? Moses said to God, please show me your glory. <laughs> show me your glory, God. What did God do? Exodus 33, 39. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I proclaim before you my name, the, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, this is what God said to me. You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. This is an incredible picture here. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What an encounter, eh? What an encounter, wow. You see, God hides Moses in a rock, causes his glory to pass Shows Moses his divine glory and then proclaims his name as we see in our text. Moses wanted to see God. God says, yes. And the Lord passed before him. You see, that is how God responded to Moses. He wanted Moses to know who he really is and what, what he actually looked like. I think that's what we see here as well in this passage. It's not about how God looks, but it's more about who he is. And so it is not about what God looks, but it's about his character. It's about his attributes. And that's what God wants Moses to know. And so buried, I think, deep in these two verses is one of the central, I think, one of the central expositions on the attributes of our God. And adding to the intensity of this exposition on the divine is its source. God himself in glory before Moses. And the exposition has two basic parts. His name and his character. So the Lord passed by. He identifies himself as, look at your text, as the Lord. The Lord. And he repeats his name. 
You see, this is for emphasis, just in case Moses missed the reality of who was talking to him. The Lord, as we have seen in capital letters, as we have seen in the last couple of weeks, then when we looked at Exodus 3 and, and Isaiah chapter 6, this, this word Lord in capital is Yahweh. And Yahweh is the sacred name of God, which is revealed to Moses at the burning bush. When he said, I am who I am. And his name testifies that he is eternal. He has always been and always will be. He is who he is. What a comfort for us, friends. What a start for the new year, isn't it? Someone just said to me yesterday, we were out visiting a family and said, what a start for the new year. (laughs) The events that have taken place. And here we see, and the reminder, reminder to us, it certainly reminded me, gives me great comfort, gives me great hope, gives me great confidence, that in the midst of all the tears, the sadness and the, the chaos that goes on, the Lord, the Lord is there. You see, is eternal, always has been. You see, this is where theology begins. It begins with a proper understanding of who God is. Let me for a moment go back to Genesis. For a moment. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1a. In the beginning, God created. You see, in Genesis 1, and verse 1, we see three, three important words that begins the Bible. I'm sure you noticed that. Three words are beginning, God created. History has a beginning, time, and a time itself has, and time itself has a beginning. If there is any kind of beginning, there must have been something that stands above that beginning. There has to be something that has the power of being above that which is created. And so in the Genesis account of creation, we see the supernatural and amazing statement of the beginning of creation. It is beyond the realm of the natural. And what we see in Genesis is the author, Genesis chapter 1, the author of nature. We see the author of creation. And the Bible does not give us a scientific explanation as to how this world came into being. Instead, it simply states, in the beginning, God created three words. And this brings me back to our text when God passes Moses. He identifies himself as the Lord, the Lord, the eternal one, who is, who was, and has to come. He is before time. He has no beginning. He is. Now you may not know this, but uh, some of you might know. I, I enjoy cooking. Uh, I think it's a very relaxing thing. It's one of my hobbies. I've tried new dishes this past few months. Uh, it, it, I think it's great. The kitchen is generally messy when I cook. The workbench, the kitchen bench, unlike Rose, who, who cleans up the mess that she makes in the kitchen and the bench looks meticulously clean. I don't know how she does it, but anyway. I find cooking relaxing. And I like cooking. I have recipe books that follow sometimes. Sometimes it's mix and match, all those things that comes in. All that I'm doing is taking spices and condiments and whatever that is already in existence and making a meal from it. That's all I'm doing. If I make a pork belly, this is really fantastic, by the way. Oh, I get the pork belly, and I have not done nothing for it. Just 
put it up there in the oven, do the thing before the night and do all the salt and keep it in the fridge the night before and put it in there so you get the great crackling after that. Anyway, I'm not writing recipe books, but the point is, I have done nothing. I will only take what is there and just made it. I haven't created or made the ingredients or anything like that. You see, what we do, we take things and we make things from them. God did not do that in creation. He spoke and it became. He spoke and it became. Because he is God. The Lord, the Lord. So when the Lord passed Moses and said, The Lord, the Lord, he was revealing himself to Moses. And he did to a world as to who he is. And there were five amazing characteristics or attributes that we see here. That is, God is merciful. God is gracious. God is slow to anger. God is steadfast in love. And God is faithful. You see, God is merciful. You see, the first thing God has determined to reveal about his name, of his character, is that he is a God of mercy. You see, Israel had sinned against God, broken covenant with them. They deserved death, but God did not punish them. The mercy of God in this context is exemplified by his forgiving iniquity of, of forgiving sin and transgression of sin in 34 verse 7. You see, in the Old Testament, mercy, or its English synonym, compassion, constitutes, I think, the fundamental attribute of his character. In the Old Testament, mercy is God's practical exhibition of loving kindness. Mercy is an attribute of God which disposes him to be actively compassionate in his dealings with his people and with the world. Mercy is essentially God's love poured out upon mankind in deep misery and trouble. Mercy is God's goodness to those in misery and in distress. The creator of heaven and earth is merciful. The one who called Abraham and delivered Israel from Egypt is compassionate. Friends, Have you thought about God's mercy to you? Have you, when I say you, I'm putting myself in it. Have you thought about God's mercy to us? It is something that is beyond, beyond explanation. That this great God should have mercy on a guy like me. Turn this back on him. How is that possible? It's mercy. He's gracious. That's what we see here. God is gracious. This is, this is undeserved favor. You see, He is the God of grace. So, put it well. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines Him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. You see, the point, first part we read in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. What do we read? For the God of grace. God's grace. His goodness and His grace that comes to us. Amazing grace that saves us and is gracious to you. And He keeps walking with us in spite of the times that we have not been so gracious in the way we treated Him. He's slow to anger. Yet we see His patience. Some translations may have the word long-suffering. It doesn't take much, doesn't it, for us to lose patience? 
You drive today after church and you see somebody cutting you off the road or somebody is going so slow or someone who parks his car way beyond the traffic lights needs to be turning green and they're going so slow, you know, that you're looking at the arrow and you think, go fast! I want to get to that arrow, please! And you say, ah! Doesn't take much, right? Uh, Maybe I'm different here. The confession. The point is, we can get so impatient, can't we? doesn't take much. God's patience is long-suffering. Think about it. How patient has he been with us? Has he been patient with you? Yeah? Slow to anger. And when he acts, you see, God is not volatile. When he acts against wickedness, His anger is a righteous one. God is steadfast in his love. This is his loving kindness. It is loving kindness to his people and the world in general. Out of his loving kindness he stays the world for all mankind. Out of his loving kindness he makes provision to supply the needs of this world. Example by sending both the sunshine and the rain. In his loving kindness he has led his son Jesus into this world. We'll touch on that in a moment. And God is faithful. God is faithful. You see, people make promises, don't they? People stand here and make promises. They'll be members of the church, they'll be serving this, that, everything else. Couples make promises that they'll be faithful to the end. We make promises, we fail. Miserably. But God does not. He is faithful. His faithfulness is without limits. You see, think about how God has been faithful to us in spite of our waywardness. He treats us tenderly as a loving father by keeping us in his care in this life and for all eternity. There's an amazing statement in Second Timothy chapter 2. Paul says this, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Wow. And so, friends, this morning, we have seen Two points, the new tablets God gave because he renewed his covenant, gave back the commandments for his people. We keep the commandments out of love, out of gratitude. We don't keep the commandments to work our way and to earn points to heaven, right? We keep them because we love Christ. So, as we, as we conclude this morning, you see, let me give you some practical things as well. What, what does it actually mean to us today? Three things. You see, trust God's Son, Jesus. Dr. Sinclair uh, Ferguson, a great writer, reformed theologian, uh, he says this, How you view God determines the quality and style of your Christian experience. Many Christians spend much of their lives paralyzed because although they have trusted Christ as Savior, they have never really seen what his sacrifice teaches us about the character of God. He gave his son. He sent his son. He handed over his son because he loves us. You see, Jesus is the very definition of God. Jesus, is Jesus merciful? I'm putting these questions to us this morning. Is Jesus merciful? Is Jesus gracious? Is Jesus compassionate? Is Jesus loving? Is Jesus faithful? Yes. The answer is yes. In him we have all these attributes and more. 
Jesus, the Son of God, displayed all these attributes and more at the cross. And do you know that he cares for us as the merciful, gracious, compassionate, loving, faithful Savior that he would go to the cross. And on the cross, the attributes of God is put in full display, including his love and his justice and the, the justice and the love of God that met in his son Jesus at the cross. That's the amazing display. The attributes of God. Do you know this Jesus? Do you trust him today? Have you come to this Jesus and said, Lord, I just want to thank you that you have done it all for me. It reminds us also, friends, this. That when we go through life, and life is tough, yeah, or maybe it's not tough for you, but it is tough. There are moments I sit back in my office or on my walks and I think, wow, where are we heading? What is happening? Where am I heading in my life? You know, what's happening in the world? What about my family? What about health issues? Family issues, parents, children, all those things that keep coming up. Don't they? Health issues? A visit to the doctor can change things. You see, God, we can trust in Him. Because he is merciful, he is gracious, he is compassionate, he is loving, and he is faithful, and he will hold us in his hands. Does he not? That's the hope that we have. Trust him. Secondly, let us ask ourselves how we can live for the Lord in response to his character revealed in his attributes. Are we gracious in our dealings with one another? Are we merciful? Do we show compassion? Are we loving in our relationships in the home? Are we faithful to each other? Things for us to consider. And thirdly, finally, let us confidently live in the freedom we have in Christ. Second Corinthians we read this morning says this, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He said, Moses, to cover his face. God covered his face, you could see. But we today, and one day, We'll see him as he is. Wow. What a day that will be. When we die. And that will come. That's for sure. Two things are certain in this world. What's the first thing? Uh, taxes. Right? <laughs> taxes. The second thing is, is death. And when it comes, friends... The way of death will be removed and taken away from our face. For we stand and see the glory of our God in all his splendor. What a day that will be. Hey? May we trust him, may we enjoy him, may we glorify this God. May he bless you abundantly this morning. Bless us abundantly. Who celebrate his graces, attributes, his love, everything in Christ.
Let's pray.